You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back, Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. It's my pleasure now to be joined by the head baseball coach at Florida State University. Second time we've talked, I'm excited. He's had a chance to get acclimated again, if you will. Link Jarrett joins us now on the Jeff Cameron Show. Coach, how are you? Good afternoon. Thanks for taking time. Jeff, always great to talk with you. We're starting to settle in here a little bit. Things are not as turbulent as when you walk in the door for the first time in 25 years and it's been fun to be on the field with the kids and watch them move around a little bit and uh, just to try to assess their skills and the new field construction, some of the things we've been able to pull off in the last few months. It's been refreshing to me and I, I think makes the players' daily work much more efficient. So it's been exciting and we're finally looking at seeing another team in a little scrimmage, which is always Great on both ends. Kennesaw State, I've known Ryan for a long time. They have a great program. And for our guys to see somebody in the other dugout definitely helps. It's a win. Yeah, Coach, I'm going to ask you about some of that construction with the bullpen and around home plate and all that here in a minute. I am excited to hear your your take on that. I do wonder, you know, the last time we talked, you had just been hired. We welcomed you back to Tallahassee. And uh, I was thinking to myself, man, he had a lot to get to. And one of the things, it's always an interesting process, but probably one that I would guess is made a lot easier and that you were able to bring over your staff. And I know that you mentioned the other day messaging, for example, just having the ability to know that all those coaches and you are on the same page so that while you're doing one thing, maybe they're doing something else over there, but the message is the same. Talk a little bit about how much easier that's made the transition and also, you know, being on the same page at all times certainly makes things a little bit more efficient for the players as they pick up your messages. No doubt, Jeff. When you get to Notre Dame, I, I had coaches that I had never worked with before, and clearly I had 40 players staring at me wondering what the heck I was talking about half the time. And, and I, sometimes the coaches felt the same way. Your system and how you do things – on the field, in the locker room, scouting reports, even with the recruiting, there's a template and a roadmap that you feel works. Now, the recruitment at a private school, which was a national recruiting effort at, at Notre Dame, it, it was a little bit different. And the coaching staff that I hired there had to have an understanding of what it was like to recruit nationally and managing private school recruitment and the academics at that, at that level. Once we spent our time together there, not only was it very evident that, that these guys were phenomenal coaches and recruiters, but I think we spread our wings a little bit and, and learned so much more 
through recruiting at Notre Dame that will help us here at Florida State. Florida State is, I mean, it's a global brand just like Notre Dame was. Now, when you have the benefits of a state institution that has some scholarshiping in the state versus what it looked like at a private school, clearly it helps for that roster to have a basis of Florida students. That, that does help. Now, we do need to be able to go out and extend and reach to other parts of the country to recruit the talent that you have to have to compete at this level. So I think those converging factors made it very easy for me to invite my staff with me and Rich and Chuck and Brad and Sean, who's in a player development role. Now, when you start to get to the communication with the players on how we do the X's and O's on the field, I could step out of that if I needed to, because through our experience at Notre Dame, the pieces of how we want to run our offense and how we want to do our pitching and catching and our infield and outfield defense and alignment and scouting reports, you can take that from program to program. But I think the overall reach that we learn through recruiting at Notre Dame will help us at Florida State. And with the Florida knowledge that Rich brought in and I brought in coming in here, like we, we had that box checked just naturally from from our history with recruiting. So, Jeff, it's been phenomenal, and it's allowed me to focus on some other things here at the facility, which, quite frankly, if the coaching staff had been new together again, mm-hmm. we would have had to spend a lot more time trying to figure out where our left fielder needs to stand and where our center fielder goes and what our outfield shifts mean, so on and so forth, with the actual tactics in the game. So, those guys have been a blessing to the program and myself, and we, we, we have a great time trying to push this program forward here. I'm always fascinated, Coach. Uh, Link, I'm wondering how long it took you. We're talking still big picture stuff here, but people remember you as a player. You're back here as a coach, and I, I am kind of wondering how long it took you in your coaching career to kind of figure out what it was you valued, what it was that made you unique in terms of your coaching style. You talked about what works for you and how it works in recruiting, how it works in teaching, how it works in daily practices, what you want to do with facilities. How long did it take you to develop that over your career as a coach till you decided, you know, I think this is what works for me. This is what works for us. This is how I can teach it. And this will be what is most efficient and best in terms of my efforts as a coach. Well, you start as a player and and I, Played for a, a good while. I wasn't. I wasn't a super talented player. But you start to watch as a high school player. Jeff Hogan here in town, great coach, just taught me a lot. And then Mike Martin, clearly just a, a phenomenal leader of young men and a tactician at the highest level. So you start to even at a young age draw upon some of the guys you're around that you see influence players around you and yourself and you start there and then you go into professional baseball and some of the guys I got to learn from Don Zimmer and Don Baylor and Art Howe when you're around those type of guys in game settings and spring training environments in the locker room on the bus you just start to soak it in and you you learn things that happen on the field that are done in a manner that you would like to emulate and you see tactical pieces that that go on in games or instructional pieces or how somebody works with the catchers or how the first baseman 
handle things? Like, what are the infield depths and, and the positioning? And how do you do double play pivots? Like, what, what are some of the messages that work as you evaluated this? Then you get your hand at coaching, and you have to start presenting this thing your way. So you're blending the things you've learned as a player and as a, you know, infant level coach when you first step out on the field at Flagler College. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew what worked and what I had learned through the years. So then when you're actually in the instructional phase and the wins and losses start to ride on you based on your decision-making and your recruitment and your, your tactics, um, how you train, how you practice, the timing, the strength and conditioning, you start to create your recipe for building a championship program. And as an assistant, you have suggestion mode. And then when you get your head coaching job at Greensboro, now these are your final decisions on essentially everything that's going on in the program. So I felt like I lined this up for, shoot, I don't know, 10 or 12 years as an assistant. Now you're the head coach. And I think there's a learning curve that goes into how you handle things as the head coach. Now you're hiring staff, athletic trainers, strength and conditioning, the calendar of practice, why you do the calendar of practice the way you do it, the game schedule, like when you travel, why you travel, what time you take batting practice. There's certain things then as a head coach that you have to figure out. And I felt like I was in my mind ready to be a head coach after so long as an assistant, then three or four years as the head coach, I think you start to learn and feel what works correctly for you as the head coach. So, and when you've done that in multiple programs, yeah. you feel like you have a system that works, but it is not an easy process. And it's something that evolves as an assistant in different areas, then as a head coach and figuring out what works for your personality as the head coach, and then how do you move that system to different programs? It's always interesting to me, Link. I appreciate you taking us through what it was like to go from being a player to an assistant coach to a head coach and learning all that that entails. And the reason I love it, I love talking to people after they've arrived at a place that's worked so hard, they've worked so hard to get to. You learn from everybody, no matter the subject, whether it's baseball, like we're talking, or somebody who teaches math, that you, if you think you know a subject, it's not just when you do it, it's when you have to teach it. And then, so it's one thing, you were a great player. You thought you probably knew a ton about baseball. You probably know now, oh man, I really didn't know anything back then. I, there's so much more that you learn when you see it from yes. other lens, right? It's, it's fascinating. It's, and the scary thing is when you think you know it, and then you learn that, man, I didn't really, I didn't really know it. And it's fascinating. I remember, I wish I could remember the professor, but third person teaching is, is what you're referring to. Right. You really don't know it until you can teach the material to somebody else. Correct. In a way that they can master that material, whether it's baseball, whether it's some of the, the Mark Ziegler's communication class, which I, I love. But I remember I remember those concepts of you truly know it when you can step back and teach it versus just 
the material being digested to you personally. So yeah, and you have to know I, it from every direction because of the questions you could be asked. They're all different, and and your ability to then instantly recall, understand, and then teach, as you say, to to be able to relate to the person asking you. And you have right. to do it with your student athletes, right? Um, and that's what we discussed with a coaching staff that they're now able to teach the things that I was trying to it wasn't that they didn't know baseball is my terminology and language and mm -hmm. tactics were a little different so the third person teaching initially was those guys now it's the fact that these guys can teach it yeah because they know it so well yeah so basically second full week of fall ball how do they look what have you learned Jeff, I, I like our group i i think there's a separation right now i do see that we have some exceptional players that have been through it and they may not be juniors and seniors, but there are clearly some guys that have been through the battles and get it. I didn't recruit the incomers, So learning the incomers and where to put them, if you've recruited the athletes for in some cases, three years, you really know where you want to start, at least start with those guys. Well, for us, the onboarding really came from, shoot, I would say July, August. And you can watch video and you can look at statistics. But until you see them in front of you competing a little bit, you, you don't know where to move with positional changes or stuff on the mound. Are there things that guys need to do to ratchet it up on the mound? So we're at that point right now, and especially with some of the younger players so these freshmen are learning right now like on the mound there has to be a separating factor for you and and they're young they're not as physical as a montgomery or a, a wyatt crowell those guys are a little more physical they've been through it so then you take the ben barrett's and the jamie arnold's and you're trying to figure out what separates is it maybe the velocity as it ticks up is it a secondary pitch the use of a secondary pitch because when they're going out and facing some of the older hitters, some of those guys that have logged 400, 500 college at-bats, they've seen it. But the younger pitchers haven't necessarily seen the capabilities of some of the older hitters. The position players, the guys behind the plate, the infielders, the pace of the game, the velocity with which the ball comes off the bat, the difference in facing a Wyatt or a Montgomery versus facing the, the high school pitcher. So the growth from the young guys is what we need. And some of these young guys are going to factor in and them learning and progressing. We have that separation. I see older guys experience physical and then a group of younger guys that we've got to, we've got to push them along to try to get them to mesh and have more of a look of, of the experienced college player. That's, that's what I see right now. Kind of curious, Coach, uh, circling back at the outset, you made reference to working hand-in-hand, -hand, and I know I read this as well. You said you worked hard with Chip and, and others as to those who came in and helped field construction, whether we're talking about the bullpen or the difference in the dugout. But I was, in particular, to be honest with you, I was really fascinated by what you were describing, or at least from what I've read, around the plate and the turf and working with them to get what you wanted. 
what does that mean? I mean, I know what that looks like. I've seen it. I've been over there to cover football, and I can see the changes. in this. But what does that mean when you say you're working directly with the manufacturers about how you want it to re- – I think, I think you're saying how you want it to respond? Well, the turf evolution is fascinating. I, I had never been on a, a turf surface as a coach other than – Hey, headliners and elite headliners. It's Ira here, and it's time to talk Shopify. As you remember, a couple of years ago, we wanted to create and sell headlines merch for the best podcast listeners in the world. That's you. But we had no idea where to get started. Now we're selling Yay Sausage shirts, and it's so easy. All because we use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're a startup working out of your man cave or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to grow your business without all the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. You could be selling Don Julio socks from Shopify's in-person point of sale system or offering headliner shirts from Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform. Whatever you need, you're covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love most about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase, and they'll help you grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Go to shopify.com slash warchant the opposing coach. And when you roll into Louisville or Virginia Tech and you jump on their turf, Wake Forest, yeah, you you know you're on turf, but you haven't had discussions with the manufacturers as to what they can do with the modern-day turf. They are creating a turf surface that emulates the clay, the dirt field, mm-hmm. but there's total consistency with it. So, for example, at our home plate circle – it plays like dirt, and when you're in it, it's ground-up olive pit, like the core pits of olives. They grind that up. The huh. materials, it's really neat. So when those, when those cleats are in that turf, which is filled with the olive core, it has the look and feel of a clay batter's box, and if I walked you up there blindfolded, you really couldn't tell what it is. When it's done correctly, with the newest product that's available. So you have that. You also have the batter's boxes that are always down. You have the foul lines that are down. And the base running from home to first and from third to home, it takes place in an artificial surface, which doesn't need water. It doesn't need to be chalked every day. It doesn't need to be groomed and edged. You eliminate a lot of the headaches you have in that area and you have a much more consistent surface. I know for a long time here, the front of that plate, it happened in our game when we played our Notre Dame team was here. Our second baseman, Jared Miller chopped the ball in the front of the plate and the thing bounced up their second baseman. I think it was green basically caught it in right field and we scored the runner from third, obviously, and the guy from second. So the maintenance of the front of that play it's almost impossible to keep up when the temperatures and the heat 
here gets to be the way it is. And because of the roof, the, the roof structure at Hauser, right. you never could really grow grass. So behind home plate, that grass was always a battle. And we've eliminated that. I know they put turf down 20 years ago. We just pulled that turf a little closer and brought it into fair territory by two feet. Around first and third, we moved the turf away from the bases a little bit. So there's more dirt keeping the activity a little further away from the edge of the turf. That's where we ran into trouble here previously is that turf around the bases almost got it was too close to the action. So that lip and the dirt worked its way into the edge and we've eliminated that. So this is a win. Eventually, Jeff, we'd like to take that warning track, the dark brown turf. We're going to try to run it all the way around. So you're not going to have the dust in the bleachers in left field and right field. It's just, it'll be a better situation for the fans. That's pretty cool. And I was thinking about it too. If you were a hitter, I suppose it would, impact the way you understood uh, certain types of bunts. You're going to get the same reaction every time, right? Like, so you'd be able to understand what you were doing when you lay a ball down. That ball is coming off the front of that plate. It's going to be the same way every time. Your catchers, they're not going to have some awkward high kick off the the hard play. You're not going to have an issue where it's damp or muddy as the, you know, the temperatures in the night games sometimes as that, yeah. drops you'll actually see the moisture work its way up you're not going to have to deal with any of that and we practice the difference in us and what you see on tv like last night the astros stadium those guys don't practice on that field every day like it's a big league stadium and they play 162 games well 81 of those games are on the road and that field can be manicured and taken care of and a college field gets beat up far more than a major league field. So you have to look at how you want to practice and take that into account when you're building your facility so that you're creating a consistent environment, but also an efficient maintenance program that you focus on maybe some things that you should focus on versus fighting the fight in some of the areas that you seem to not be able to win the fight. So let's eliminate it. One of these days, you and I are going to do a separate podcast where I'm just going to ask you questions that others might find boring, but that you and I would love about fields and how to arrange. I love this. I find this fascinating. But in yeah, the, well, interim, the bullpen, want... hey Jeff, I'm telling you, the bullpen area, what we've done down there, yeah, the space was there, but it wasn't productive space because the it wasn't level. The turf wasn't level. It wasn't the turf that stays cooler. The turf that we put in has a substance in it that keeps the temperature 35 degrees lower than it is if it's the normal turf. So when you think about it, right field at Hauser Stadium is very tight. So we now have the bullpen in right field, but we've added space on the back end of the bullpen that is bigger than the actual bullpen. And it keeps the guys out of harm's way when you're standing in right field and you're 250 feet from home plate and balls are flying around. They can go into this auxiliary space and do their mobility, their arm care. They can do some basic conditioning, their agilities. They can throw. It's 90 feet long. It's about 60 feet wide. So we just took some of the space that we don't have in right field and put it in a better area where they don't have to dodge line drives and outfielders running around. It's great. 
That's very cool. And it's, uh, that's the immediate impact as you come in and work with Chip and others. Obviously, those that have been big-time boosters for Florida State baseball, getting to know them, the people who care deeply about the program and want it to succeed. These are all the roads you have to navigate as you come in and take over the helm. And I'm curious, what are the long-term plans? Uh, short-term, I mean, you may not have all day, I understand, but we're hearing about the immediacy of the things you've done right now. I'm curious what's possible for Florida State uh, over the next, say, five to six seven years i'm not talking about wins and losses we know you got to win games i'm talking about like projects in your mind that you think will modernize florida state and give the best opportunity for you to recruit at an elite level etc well we put in a camera system so we now have six cameras and we started scrimmaging last week so the footage that we can obtain from the open side of the hitter the open side of the pitcher straight center field and behind home plate those camera angles are invaluable instructional components to what we do. And it's the library. It's sitting right here behind me. This system is phenomenal and you can zoom in and the technology, whether it's turf or the cameras or the analytics, it gets better every month. There's something that has improved. So we got that camera system in place. Now, as we learn it, like this isn't a five year thing, but it's a five week piece to learn how to use this and and get it to the players correctly. So we've started that. The tradition room, Jeff, we have to update that area. The tradition room is great. But when you start with the idea of the tradition room, this has probably been a 30-year project. The way the displays are visible now has outdated itself so we need to update the the players in the history of the program is it's second to none we need to digitize and update how we display the history of the program so the tradition room and my talk to mike loin about it his name's on it that's that's something we need to do it is it's just outdated the effort is phenomenal like everybody did what should have been done when this started but clearly, when you fast forward 25 years and you've filled up the walls, we have to update that. The batting facility, Jeff, it, it needs to be addressed. You know, there are some issues in there, and we've, we've addressed some of the basic things that I could pull off with the visibility and with the surface itself. But we need to address that building, and long term, it probably needs to be something that is enclosed. All of the debris from the concourse works its way into the batting facility. So you have trash and peanut shells and squirrels get in there and it's in the wind. It's such a, it's very hot in there when it's warm and when that, the wind gets in there. So when you're trying to do things and the nets are blowing around, ideally in this day and age, that facility should be an enclosed climate controlled space. So that's something that needs to be done. And then for the fans, Jeff, these are the best fans in college baseball. I've been everywhere. There's nowhere else I can go coach as a, as an opposing coach. I've been through it all, all the SEC places. I, I've seen it all, the Texas schools. Our fans are the best, and they deserve a functional space to come enjoy 40 games. We have a chance to play 40, maybe more home games at Dick Hauser. So I want the experience to be what it should be for the best fans. I want the the restrooms to be functional and clean. I want the seating to be comfortable. I would like to at some point address the the coloring of, of the seats. We have a lot of different colored garnets and 
Michael has done a great job. We've tried to incorporate more garnet. So the facilities have moved away from the traditional, that hunter green, but some of the garnets over time fade. So we need to address some of the basic refreshing pieces to a facility that has to happen. The sound system, I had them come out last week. They altered that. I had some concerns with the sound system for the fans. We're changing the scoreboard template a little bit so it's more fan friendly. We're putting in a new backstop net. That'll, that'll come in later this fall. The old one is not fan friendly. It's not eye candy. It just, it's, it's a little bit distracting. So the netting is almost transparent that we're going to put in. It'll be much better long term. There's talk of what we need to do with Hauser overall. We have some water issues that need to be taken care of. I know campus is working on that. There are discussions of would this stadium be better suited to go over near college town. So, Jeff, in the next five to seven years, I think you're, you're going to see a lot of movement in one direction or the other. Hauser's historic. And there have been just phenomenal players and moments and games and things that have gone on in the stadium that, it's appealing. And when you walk in here, I think you, you go to some of those places in your mind of some of the great moments in Florida State baseball. So that is one reason we'd like to keep this thing fresh and, and there's pull to keep it right where it is. But clearly that batting facility and some of the other just structural upgrades and updates that we need to do will, will give the fans a, a better experience. I, I think there's also talk, Jeff, about could we make one of the bleacher areas more of a a picnic type viewing yeah. spot instead of standard bleachers? Now, what does that do? The capacities, I, I don't know, but there has been a conversation about could we make left field like that bleach? Could we make that a a more like yeah, golf fan friendly? Course, yeah. like the 18th hole golf course, like you have people that can stand and eat and hang out, and it's not yeah. just traditional seating so there's a lot and Jeff I will say this people have donated and, and are chartering are flying for the number of games we play in the length of a weekend series this is not a football game basketball soccer where those teams go play one game and they come home we're going Thursday night and we play Friday Saturday Sunday and we have to get home and the, the flight situation for us when we have to fly is very difficult and it's costly so some of our fundraising efforts have to simply be to offset the cost of the necessity to charter some of these trips, because quite frankly, we can't get out of Tallahassee and get back in a functional time frame to play these three game series. So that's something we will always have to, to push for. Link, this is music to my ears, buddy. I have been covering Florida State Athletics for well over 20 years. I was there at the same time you were there. I love Florida State baseball. I bring these concerns up on my daily show for years and years and years. I feel like we're just scratching the surface. This has been fun, and I know everybody gets excited. Just the fact that the schedule came out, and there's a game, an exhibition game coming up, and we all know that. But now baseball's on our mind, and it's great to catch up with you. We'll do it again. Obviously, we'll have plenty of chances before the season starts. But it's good to talk to you again, Coach. Thanks for spending so much time with us, and I appreciate the insight a lot. Jeff, loved it. And we'll have that we'll have that off-script discussion if you want to yeah. talk to Phillies. We might need to come out here and walk around, and we can really dive deeper into this because – I know you love it. I love it, and, and it, it helps the players. So I, I've enjoyed chatting with you, and thank you for all you do for Florida State.
Absolutely. Be well, good sir. And uh, I'll take you up on that offer. We'll do it real soon. Be good. Thanks, Jeff.